Chapter Two of The Go Getter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Go Getter by Peter B. Kine. Chapter Two. The President Emeritus of Rick's interests was not destined to uninterrupted cognition, however. Within ten minutes, his private exchange operator called him on the telephone. What is it? Cappy yelled into the transmitter. There is a young man in the general office. His name is Mr. William E. Peck, and he desires to see you personally. Cappy sighed. Very well, he replied. Have him shown in. Almost immediately, the office boy ushered Mr. Peck into Cappy's presence. The moment he was fairly inside the door, the visitor halted, came easily and naturally to attention, and bowed respectfully, while the cool glance of his keen blue eyes held steady the autocrat of the Blue Star Navigation Company. Mr. Ricks, Peck is my name, sir. William E. Peck, thank you, sir, for accepting to my request for an interview. Um, um, Cappy looked belligerent. Sit down, Mr. Peck. Mr. Peck sat down, but as he crossed the chair beside Cappy's desk, the old gentleman noticed that his visitor walked with a slight limp, and that his left forearm had been amputated halfway to the elbow. To the observant Cappy, the American Legion button on Mr. Peck's lapel told the story. Well, Mr. Peck, he queried gently, what can I do for you? I've called for my job, the veteran replied briefly. By the holy pink-toed prophet, Cappy ejaculated, you say that like a man who does not expect to be refused. Quite right, sir. I do not anticipate a refusal. Why? Mr. William E. Peck's engaging but somewhat plain-featured rippled into a most compelling smile Cappy Ricks had ever seen. I am a salesman, Mr. Ricks, he replied. I know that statement to be true because I have demonstrated over a period of five years that I can sell my share of anything that has hockable value. I have always found, however, that before proceeding to sell goods, I had to sell the manufacture of those goods something to wit myself, and I am about to sell myself to you. Son, said Cappy smilingly, you win. You sold me already. When did they sell you a membership in the military forces of the United States of America? On the morning of April 7, 1917, sir. That clinches our sale. I soldiered with the Knights of Columbus at Camp Kearney myself, but when they refused to let me go abroad with my division, my heart was broken. So I went over the hill. That little touch of the language of the line appeared to warm Mr. Peck's heart considerably, establishing at once a Freemasonry between them. I was with the Portland Lumber Company selling lumber in the Middle West before the war, he explained. Uncle Sam gave me my sheepskin at Letterman General Hospital last week with half disability on my $10,000 worth of government insurance. Whittling my wing was a mere trifle, but my broken leg was a long time mending, and now it's shorter than it really ought to be. And I developed pneumonia with influenza, and they found some TB indications after that. I've been at the Government Tuberculosis Hospital in Fort Bernard, New Mexico, for a year. However, what's left of me is certified to be sound. I've got five inches chest expansion, and I feel fine. Not at all blue or discouraged, Cappy hazarded. Oh, I got off easy, Mr. Ricks. I have my head left and my right arm. I can think and I can write, and even if one of my wheels is flat, I can hike longer and faster after an order than most. 
Got a job for me, Mr. Ricks? No, I haven't, Mr. Peck. I'm out of it, you know, retired ten years ago. This office is merely a headquarters for social frivolity, a place to get my mail and mill over the gossip of the street. Our Mr. Skinner is the chap you should see. I have seen Mr. Skinner, sir, the erstwhile warrior replied, but he wasn't very sympathetic. I think he jumped to the conclusion that I was attempting to trade him my empty sleeve. He informed me that there wasn't significant business to keep the present staff of salesmen busy, so then I told him I'd take anything from stenographer up. I'm a champion, one-handed typist of the United States Army. I can tally lumber and billet. I can keep books, answer the telephone. No encouragement, eh? No, sir. Well, my son, Cappy informed his cheerful visitor confidently, you take my tip and see my son-in-law, Captain Peasley. He's high, low, and jack in the game, in the shipping end of our business. I have also interviewed Captain Peasley. He was very kind, and he said he felt that he owed me a job, but business was so bad he couldn't make the place for me. He told me he was now carrying a dozen ex-servicemen merely because he hadn't had the heart to let them go. I believe him. Well, my dear boy, my dear young friend, why did you come to me? Because, Mr. Peck replied smilingly, I want you to go over their heads and give me a job. I don't care a hoot what it is, provided I can do it. If I can do it better than what has been done before, and if I can't do it, I'll quit and save you the embarrassment of firing me. I'm not an object of charity, but I'm scarcely the man I used to be, and I'm four years behind the procession, and I have to catch up. I have the best of references. I see you have, Cappy cut in blandly and pressed the push-button on his desk. Mr. Skinner entered. He glanced disapprovingly at William E. Peck and turned inquiring eyes toward Cappy Ricks. Skinner, dear boy, Cappy purred amiably. I've been thinking over the proposition to send Andrews out to the Shanghai office, and I've come to this conclusion. Well, we'll have to take the chance. At the present time, that office is in charge of a stenographer, and we've got to get a manager on the job without any further loss of time. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll send Andrews out on the next boat, but inform him that his position is temporary. Then if he doesn't make good out there, we can take him back to this office where he's the most valuable man. Meanwhile, ahem, ahem, meanwhile, you'll oblige me greatly, Skinner, my dear boy, if you would consent to take this young man into your office and give him a good workout to see the stuff he's made out of. As a favor to me, Skinner, my dear boy, as a favor to me. Mr. Skinner, in the language of the sporting world, was down for the count, and he knew it. Mr. Peck knew it, too, and smiled graciously upon the general manager. For young Mr. Peck had been in the army, where he learned one of the great first lessons to be assimilated is this, that a commanding general's request is always tantamount to an order. Very well, sir, Mr. Skinner replied coldly. Have you arranged for the compensation to be given, Mr. Peck? Cappy flew up a depreciating hand. That detail is entirely up to you, Skinner. Far be it from me to interfere in the internal administration of your department. Naturally, you will pay Mr. Peck what he is worth and not a cent more. He turned to the triumphant Peck. Now you listen to me, young feller. If you think you're slipping gracefully into a good thing, disabuse your mind of that impression right now. You'll step right up to the plate, my son, and you'll hit the ball fairly on the nose, and you'll do it early and often. 
The first time you tip a foul, you'll be warned. The second time, you'll get a month's layoff to think it over. And the third time, you'll be out for keeps. Do I make myself clear? You do, sir, Mr. Peck declared happily. All I ask is fighting room, and I'll hack my way into Mr. Skinner's heart. Thank you, Mr. Skinner, for consenting to take me on. I appreciate your action very much, and shall endeavor to be worthy of your confidence. Young scoundrel, infernal young scoundrel, Cappy murmured to himself. He has a sense of humor, thank God. Oh, poor old narrow-gauge Skinner. If that fellow ever gets a new or unconventional thought in his stogy head, it'll kill him overnight. He's hopping mad right now because he can't say a word in his own defense. But if he doesn't make hell look like a summer holiday for Mr. Bill Peck, I'm due to be unmercifully chloroformed. Good Lord, how empty life would be if I couldn't butt in and raise a little riot every once in so often. Mr. Peck had risen and was standing at attention. When do I report for duty, sir? he queried of Mr. Skinner. Whenever you're ready, Skinner retorted with a wintry smile. Mr. Peck glanced at the cheap wrist watch. It's twelve o'clock now. He soliloquied aloud. I'll pop out, wrap myself around some rations, and report to the job at 1 p.m. I might as well knock out half a day's pay. He glanced at Cappy Ricks and quoted, Count that day lost, whose low, dissenting sun finds prices shot to glory and business done for him. Unable to maintain his composure in his face of such levity during office hours, Mr. Skinner withdrew, still wrapped in his sub-Antarctic dignity. The door closed behind him. Mr. Peck's eyebrows went up in a manner indicative of apprehension. I'm off to a bad start, Mr. Ricks, he opined. You only ask for a start, Cappy piped back at him. I didn't guarantee you a good start, and I wouldn't because I can't. I can only drive Skinner and Matt Peasley so far and no farther. It's always to the point at which I quit, our uh, William, more familiarly known as Bill Peck, sir. Very well, Bill. Cappy slid out to the edge of his chair and peered at Bill Peck playfully over the top of his spectacles. I'll have my eye on you, young fellow, he shrilled. I freely acknowledge our indebtedness to you, but the day you get the notion in your head that this office is an old soldier's home, he paused thoughtfully. I wonder what Skinner will pay you, he mused. Oh, well, he continued, whatever it is, take it and say nothing when the moment is propitious and provided that you've earned it. I'll intercede with the dangered old relic and get you a raise. Thank you very much, sir. You are most kind. Good day, sir. And Bill Peck picked up his hat and limped out of the presence. Scarcely had the door closed behind him than Mr. Skinner re-entered Cappy Rick's lair. He opened his mouth to speak, but Cappy silenced him with an imperilous finger. Not a peep out of you, Skinner, my dear boy, he chirped amiably. I know exactly what you're going to say, and I admit your right to say it, but ahum, ahum. Now, Skinner, listen to reason. How the devil could you ever have the heart to reject that crippled ex-soldier? There he stood on one sound leg, with his left sleeve tucked into his coat pocket, and his homely face of grin an unwhipped, unbeatable man. But you, blast your cold, unfeeling soul, Skinner, looked him in the eye and turned him down like a drunkard turns down near beer. Skinner, how could you do it? Undaunted by Cappy's admonitory finger, Mr. Skinner struck a distinctively defiant attitude. There's no sentiment in business, he replied angrily. 
A week ago last Thursday, the local posts of the American Legion commenced their organized drive for jobs for their crippled and unemployed comrades. And within three days, you've sought off 209 such jobs in the various corporations that you control. The gang you shipped up to the mill in Washington has already applied for a charter for a new post to be known as Cappy Rick's Post 534, and you had experienced men discharged to make room for these ex-soldiers. You bet I did, Cappy yelled triumphantly. It's always old home week in every logging camp and every sawmill in the Northwest for IWWs and revolutionary communists. I'm sick of their unauthorized strikes and sabotage. And by the holy pink-toed prophet, Cappy Ricks, post number 534, American Legion, is the only sort of backfire I can think of to put the wobblies on the run. Every office and ship and retail yard could be run by a first sergeant, Skinner complained. I'm thinking of having reveille and retreat and bugle calls and Saturday morning inspections, I tell you, sir. The Rick's interests have absorbed all the old soldiers possible, and at the present moment those interests are overflowing with glory. What we want are workers, not talkers. These ex-soldiers spend too much time fighting their battles over again. Well, Comrade Peck is the last one I'll ask you to absorb, Skinner, Cappy promised contritely. Ever read Kipling's Barrack Room Ballad, Skinner? I have no time to read, Mr. Skinner protested. Go uptown this moment and buy a copy and read one ballad entitled Tommy, Cappy barked. For the good of your immortal soul, he added. Well, Comrade Peck doesn't make a hit with me, Mr. Ricks. He applied to me for a job and I gave him an answer, and then he went to Captain Matt and was refused. So, just to demonstrate his bad taste, he went over our heads and induced you to pitchfork him into a job. I'll curse the day he was inspired to do that. Skinner, Skinner, look at me in the eye. Do you know why I ask you to take Bill Peck? I do, because you're too tender-hearted for your own good. You unimaginative dunderhead, gibbering jackdaw, how could I reject a boy who simply would not be rejected? Why, I'll bet a ripe peach that Bill Peck was the one of the doggonest fine soldiers you've ever seen. He carries his objective. He sized you up just like that, Skinner. He declined to permit you to block him, Skinner. That Peck person has been oppressed by experts. Yes, sir, experts. What kind of job are you going to give him, Skinner, my dear boy? Andrew's job, of course. Oh, yes, I forgot. Skinner, my dear boy, haven't we got a half a million feet of skunk spruce to saw off on somebody? Skinner nodded, and Cappy continued with all the naive eagerness of one who has just made a marvelous discovery which he is confident will revolutionize science. Give him that stinking stuff to peddle, Skinner, and if he can dig up a couple dozen carloads of red fur or bull pine in transit, or some short or odd-length stock, or some large ceiling or flooring, or some hemlock random stock, in fact anything the trade doesn't want as a gift, you'll get me, don't you, Skinner? Mr. Skinner smiled his swordfish smile, and if he fails to make good, au revoir, eh? Yes, I suppose so, although I hate to think about it. On the other hand, if he makes good, he's to have Andrew's salary. We must be fair, Skinner. Whatever our faults, we must always be fair. He rose and patted the general manager's lean shoulder. There, there, Skinner, my boy. Forgive me if I've been a trifle. Ahem, ahem, harum. 
precipitate and skinner if you put a prohibitive price on that skunk fur by the holy pink-toed prophet i'll fire you be fair boy be fair no dirty work skinner remember comrade peck has half of his left forearm buried in france end of chapter two chapter three at twelve thirty as cappy was hurrying up california street to luncheon at the commercial club he met bill peck limping down the sidewalk the ex-soldier stopped him and handed him a card what do you think of that sir he queried isn't it a neat business card cappy read rick's lumber and logging company lumber and its products two four eight california street san francisco represented by william e peck if you can drive nails in it we have it cappy ricks ran a speculative thumb over comrade peck's business card it was engraved in copper plates or dies and not made in half an hour by the twelve ragged apostles this was cappy's most terrible oath and he never employed it unless rocked to his very foundations bill as one bandit to another come clean when did you first make up your mind to go to work for us a week ago comrade peck replied blandly and what was your grade when kaiser bill went awol i i was a buck i don't believe you didn't anybody ever offer you anything better frequently however if i had accepted i would have had to resign the nicest job i ever had there wasn't much money in it but it was filled with excitement and interesting experiments I used to disguise myself as a Christmas tree or a boxcar and pick off German sharpshooters. I was known as Peck's bad boy. I was often tempted to quit, but whenever I'd reflect on the number of American lives I was saving daily, a commission was just a scrap of paper to me. If you'd ever started in any other branch of the service, you'd have run John J. Pershing down to Lance Corporal. Bill, listen. Have you ever had any experience selling skunk spruce? Comrade Peck was plainly puzzled. He shook his head. What sort of stock is it, he said? Humboldt County, California spruce. It's coarse and stringy and wet and heavy, and smells just like a skunk directly after using. I'm afraid Skinner's going to start you at the bottom, and skunk spruce is it. Can you drive nails into it, Mr. Ricks? Oh, yes. Does anybody ever buy skunk spruce, sir? Oh, occasionally one of our bright young men digs up a half-wit who's willing to try anything once. Otherwise, of course, we would not continue to manufacture it. Fortunately, Bill, we have very little of it. But whenever our woods boss runs across a good tree, he hasn't had the heart to leave it standing. And as a result, we always have enough skunk spruce on hand to keep our salesmen humble. I can sell anything at a price, Comrade Peck replied unconcernedly and continued on his way back to the office end of chapter three chapter four for two months cappy ricks saw nothing of bill peck that enterprising veteran had been sent out into the utah arizona new mexico and texas territory the moment he had familiarized himself with the numerous details regarding freight rates weights and the mills he represented all things which a salesman should be familiar with before he starts out on the road. From Salt Lake City, he wired in an order for two carloads of large rustic, and in Ogden he managed to inveigle a retail yard with which Mr. Skinner had been trying to do business for years into sampling a carload of skunk spruce boards, 
random lengths and grades at a dollar above the price given him by Skinner. In Arizona, he worked up some new business by mining timbers. But it was not until he got to the heart of Texas that Comrade Peck really commenced to demonstrate his selling ability. Standard oil derricks were his specialty, and he shot the orders in so fast that Mr. Skinner was forced to wire him for mercy and instruct him to devote his talent to the disposal of cedar shingles and siding, Douglas fir, and redwood. Eventually, he completed his circle and worked his way home via Los Angeles, pausing, however, in the San Joaquin Valley to sell two more carloads of skunk spruce. When this order was wired in, Mr. Skinner came to Cappy Ricks with the telegram. Well, I must admit, Comrade Peck can sell lumber, he announced grudgingly. He has secured five new accounts, and here is an order for two more carloads of skunk spruce. I'll have to raise his salary about the first of the year. My dear Skinner, why the devil wait until the first of the year? Your pernicious habit of deferring the inevitable parting with your money has cost us the service of more than one good man. You know, you have to raise Comrade's Peck's salary sooner or later, so why not do it now and smile like a dentrifice advertisement while you're doing it? Comrade Peck will feel a whole lot better as a result, and who knows, he may conclude you're a human being after all and learn to love you. Very well, sir. I'll give him the same salary Andrews was getting before Peck took over his territory. Skinner, you make it impossible for me to refrain from showing you who's boss around here. He's better than Andrews, isn't he? I think he is, sir. Well, then, for the love of a square deal, pay him more and pay it to him on the first day he went to work. Get out. You make me nervous, by the way. How is Andrews getting along in the Shanghai job? He's helping the cable company pay its income tax. Cables came about three times a week on matters he should decide for himself. Matt Peasley is disgusted with him. Ah, well, I'm not disappointed. And I suppose Matt will be in here before long to remind me that I was the bright boy who picked Andrews for the job. Well, I did, but I call upon you to remember, Skinner, when I'm assailed that Andrews' appointment was temporary. Yes, sir, it was. Well, I suppose I'll have to cast about for his successor and beat Matt out of his cheap old I-told-you-so triumph. I think Comrade Peck has some of the earmarks of a good manager for our Shanghai office, but I'll have to test him a little further. He looked up humorously at Mr. Skinner. Skinner, my dear boy, he continued, I'm going to have him deliver a blue vase. Mr. Skinner's cold features actually glowed. Well, tip the chief of police and the proprietor of the store off this time and save yourself some money, he warned Cappy. He walked to the window and looked down California Street. He continued to smile. Yes, Cappy continued dreamily. I think I shall give him the 33rd degree. You'll agree with me, Skinner, that if he delivers the blue vase, he'll be worth $10,000 a year as our oriental manager. I'll say he will, Mr. Skinner replied snagly. Very well, then. Arrange matters, Skinner, so that he will be available for me at one o'clock, a week from Sunday. I'll attend to the other details. Mr. Skinner nodded. He was still chuckling when he departed for his own office. End of chapter 4